Hello, 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 and welcome to Geeking with Destination Venus. Reggie here again with yet another hour of geeky news, views, facts, figures, fun, and stuff. Except not the show I was hoping to bring you. The intention was that during Thought Bubble, which happened last weekend, if you're listening to this the day it drops, I was supposed to go around with my little recorder and get some Vox Pops and chat with stall holders and creators and artists and writers and guests and visitors and all of that and bring to you tonight a feeling, an essence, a sense of what it was to be at the best comic convention in the country. And I can't do that because, annoyingly, I had a really successful thought bubble, which is not annoying in a business sense. We made a lot of money. It was good. But it's annoying in a doing this show sense because because we were busy and successful, I barely got out from behind my counter. And when I did, thanks, Steve, for coming in and covering the stall for some times on Saturday. When I did get out from behind the counter, I had stuff to do and I couldn't just keep randomly stopping and talking to people. Also, the acoustics in the convention centre. My goodness, it was loud. So, yeah, that would have been a problem, too. So all things considered, that didn't happen. So I don't have that to bring you. Now, I did actually just record 25 minutes or so of me telling you how good Thought Bubble was. And I'm going to be honest, I listened back to it and deleted it because I sound like like a ranty old man. So I'm going to condense my Thought Bubble review into just a few minutes. It was brilliant. It was brilliant and amazing and stunning and positive and great for really just a couple of reasons. First of all, it was organised by people who love comics. Tula Lote, who is the founder of Thought Bubble, is an artist. She's a very good artist. She cares deeply about art and about comics. And that ethos has been a part of Thought Bubble since the very start. Her team equally love the medium of comics. Most of them are either in comics in some way or have been fans of comics for their entire lives. And it shows the care they put into curating who comes is palpable on the floor. That they let a chancer like me in is a constant source of surprise, but they do. And it was a privilege to be there. It really, really was. One of the other things that makes Thought Bubble so amazing are the people. Now, there are three basic types of people at Thought Bubble. Actually, four, but I'm going to leave the fourth off for a minute. We'll stick with the three, first of all. There are the creators, the people who actually make the stuff, artists and writers. Some of them who work for the big publishers and are big names. Some of them who you will never have heard of and perhaps never will hear of, but who labour away in their kitchens and their bedrooms, 
and their officers sometimes if the boss isn't looking and who make beautiful comics that are personal and individual and some of them are indeed run off on the office photocopier some of them are professionally printed and have such high production values you wouldn't know they weren't from a big publisher and all of these people have some things in common they're all lovely and they're all passionate passionate about their work passionate about the medium in general passionate about comics passionate about art and passionate about sharing that that passion with the second type of person who goes to thought bubble that is the visitors the punters if you will the people that it's all for because were it not for the punters thought bubble would be a bunch of people sitting behind tables with art no one was looking at. And what would be the point of that? Now, what's beautiful about Thought Bubble, and I think it's because of the nature of the event, really, is that the vast, overwhelming majority of punters at Thought Bubble are also really, really nice people. I didn't meet a single person over the course of the two days, and I met hundreds of people over the course of the two days. Didn't meet a single one who wasn't almost certainly smiling. It was difficult to tell. Everyone was masked, but you could see it in their eyes. They were smiling. They were happy. They were joyous. They were positive. They were basking in the creativity of the atmosphere. And then there is the third type of person at Thought Bubble, the people like me, the retailers. I don't create anything. Well, hyperbole, possibly. Um, I just sell it. I do curate it, sort of. But I'm there just to sell things to people and to meet people and to network and hopefully to meet the creators so that I can get their stuff in my shop. And there weren't actually very many of us this year. Uh, priority had clearly been given in what was a sort of paired back convention. There were fewer stallholders than normal. Um, I, I think in order to make sure that there were plenty of creators, retailers like me, there weren't many of us. Uh, I think I was the only person doing the comic shop thing there, which I've got to be honest, really worked in my favour. Thanks, Thought Bubble. And I'm not saying whether those people are nice or not, because I'm the only one that I met there. Uh, I like to think I'm nice, but I leave that for you to judge. The fourth type of person are the people who volunteer at Thought Bubble. And I do want to take a second to thank each and every single one of them. They're known as the Red Shirts, which I think is hilarious, as will any other fan of Star Trek. Uh, apparently, Chloe, the uh, one of the festival directors, uh, she didn't know the Red Shirt reference. Um, but hey, not a single one of them has ever been killed by aliens during the course of the convention in was it 16, 17 years it's been running now. So, you know, it's all good, probably. But the Red Shirts are a remarkable remarkable band they don't get paid they do get into the convention for free but then they don't get to enjoy it because they are busy from doors opening to doors closing and beyond and you will never meet a more helpful more efficient bunch of people seriously and i really genuinely mean this if you are an employer and somebody comes to you for a job 
And on their CV, it says they volunteered as a red shirt at Thought Bubble. Hire them on the spot. They will be brilliant. And the red shirts are the grease that smooths the wheels of the whole convention. If you don't know something, ask a red shirt. If you can't find something, ask a red shirt. If you need something, ask a red shirt. They will sort it for you. They are utterly, utterly brilliant people. And I've never known a convention to have a volunteer core of helpers quite like it. They are the beating heart of the whole thing. And and I'm going to leave Thought Bubble there for now. Um, some of my longer thoughts are going to be in a Wednesday waffle, uh, which presumably I posted yesterday, if you're listening to this on the day it drops, uh, because I'm hoping to get people on to talk about Thought Bubble in future weeks. I, I haven't been able to organise anything in time for this show just because I had Thought Bubble to get ready for and then Thought Bubble to unpack from. And so there's been no time. But I'm hoping to get people on over the next couple of weeks to have a bit of a chat and really capture the Thought Bubble spirit. And there you go. That was a 25 minute rant. I've reduced it down to nine and a half minutes. Yay me! God of concision that I am. Okay, that was Thought Bubble. More on that in future weeks. But now, moving on. Because even when events as world shattering as Thought Bubble are taking place, the world still turns and things keep happening. And I have to report that just as I reported last week, Diamond, the comics distributor in the UK, is still crippled by a ransomware attack. Their systems are still down. They still don't know whether they're coming or going. They're still not able to send me invoices, although they are able to email me and tell me what I owe them. So something's working and it's the bit that takes my money off me, which is good because my bills are paid and therefore new comics are coming in and we'll have some recommendations for you at the end of the show. Uh, How long Diamond is going to be taken down for is an open question. It's now been two whole weeks. And honestly, I know I made a big thing of this last week too, but I'm going to do it again. People, back up your files. If you do, ransomware attacks like this can't hurt you. If you don't, they can. And as you're seeing in the diamond example, it can cause you a huge, huge headache. So, you know, back up your files somewhere that people on the Internet can't get at them or back them up to the cloud more than once. But do something. Protect yourself. This has been a public service announcement and also the boring preachy part for today. And so I guess it's time to see what's happening in... What has been happening in space? Well, not quite in space, but edging ever closer. We have the long, long, long awaited James Webb Space Telescope. An instrument that is sort of going to replace Hubble, except not, I think is how we think about it. Uh, We've been waiting 30 years for this. Uh, It's scheduled to go into space on top of an Ariane rocket very soon. NASA, ESA and NASA are still rather sweetly saying later this year. It's the second week, third week of November. Uh, There isn't a lot of later in this year. It's going soon. 
Um, it is the most powerful, most complex, and absolutely the most expensive space telescope, or in fact, I suspect, telescope of any kind ever built. Uh, it's named for NASA's second administrator, James Webb, uh, and it's going to be looking at the very first stars and galaxies in the in the universe, uh, looking right back, as far back as visible light will let us. Uh, it's also going to zoom in on objects in our own solar system and look at exoplanet atmospheres to see if there are signs of life on other worlds in other solar systems, which I think we can probably say is pretty darned ambitious. Uh, it's an international collaboration. I don't think any space agency could afford to do James Webb on its own. Uh, so NASA, ESA and the Canadian Space Agency are working together on this. Um, and it's groundbreaking. Everything about this telescope is groundbreaking. It's got a segmented mirror uh, that will be uh, 6.5 metres. That's 21 feet if you're working in old um, wide. It's got uh, a folding sunshade because it obviously needs to be able to put its hand over its eyes so it can see where it's looking when it's looking towards the sun. Um, it's going to use four very sensitive instruments to collect data that I think we can say almost certainly is going to fundamentally change our understanding of the universe. Um, Eric Smith uh, of NASA, uh, he's uh, on the James Webb program. Um, he reckons that the discovery capability of Webb is limited only by our own imaginations. That's a direct quote. Um, and for once, I don't think that's hyperbole. This thing can detect stuff that we probably don't even Im imagine at the moment. It's a huge, huge step forward. Hubble is really, really cool and is continuing to work. Uh, they fixed the problem they had earlier in the year. And because bits of the James Webb Space Telescope require cryogenic cooling, um, it's got a finite life. Hubble might actually outlive James Webb, which would be hilarious. Uh, it has been hideously expensive. It was always going to be. Uh, it was originally uh, thought of in the 1990s. It was supposed to cost $500 million, and it was supposed to launch in 2017. No, no, that's my notes looking at my notes wrong. I'm not even editing that out. Um, it was supposed to launch in 2007, which is worse. It's 14 years late. Now, over the years, progress has been slowed down uh, by the need to redesign bits, uh, by to fix various flaws, and, of course, they are blaming COVID for some of this. Uh, COVID only only accounts for two of the 14 years of delay. But hey, everyone else is blaming COVID for everything. So why the heck not? Um, the costs have gone up a bit. Uh, $500 million was the original budget thus far. The telescope has cost. Pause for breath and just think about this for a second. From $500 million, to 8.8 .8 billion dollars. Um, that's a lot. I think it's going to be worth it. I honestly think this kind of research is worth every single penny we spend on it. But that is one heck of an overrun. 8.8 .8 billion dollars. It has been a long, long journey. But the James Webb Space Telescope is finally 
at the European Space Agency's launch site in uh, Carew. I think I'm pronouncing that right in French Guiana. Uh, it's being prepped for its launch on board an Ariane 5 rocket, um, which is actually, do you know what? Ariane 5, one of the most reliable heavy lift rockets in existence, soon to be upgraded to Ariane 6. The European Space Agency does not get enough credit for its astonishingly cool rockets. Um, so shout out to them. We will obviously keep you advised as to the progress of this. Uh, we're not sure what the launch date is yet, but as soon as we have it, we'll let you know. Uh, it's very likely that the launch will be live streamed. So uh, we'll keep you informed of that too, because an Ariane rocket launch, very cool thing to watch. Obviously, more information in the show notes and more information to come as time progresses and we start to get data coming back from the James Webb Space Telescope. Of course, it is not just NASA and ESA and other Western countries that are involved in space. India has a very well-developed space program now, as does China. Uh, in fact, China may well be taking the lead in terms of space technology. It's difficult to know because they don't really release much of their information. They don't play well with others at the Chinese Space Agency. Um, but we do know that the Chang'e 5 orbiter module, um, which was involved in China's astonishingly complicated um, mission to return uh, a, a sample of lunar uh, regolith uh, last year, uh, is on its way back to the moon. Uh, it went from the moon to uh, a position between Earth and the sun to do some uh, studies there. Um, it did some observations of the Earth and the sun. We don't know exactly what. Uh, it carried out some tests related to its own orbital control. Uh, and now, as I say, heading back to the moon. Um, and it should have done a sort of lunar flyby in early September. What it's doing now is kind of an open question, because, as I said, the Chinese Space Agency is not particularly forthcoming with information about this stuff. China doesn't chat. Uh, so all of our information really is is coming from Western observers who are tracking this thing. I mean, there is some information coming from the Chinese Space Agency. Um Jing Peng, uh, who's the deputy chief designer of uh, the Chang'e 5 spacecraft, uh, is from the China Academy of Space Technology, or CAST. Um, and speaking in June, uh, he said that he didn't think that Chang'e 5 would be performing any more particularly complex orbital manoeuvres, uh, but didn't really go much further than that. As a space geek and an internationalist, I find this incredibly frustrating. I think the lesson that we should take from the International Space Station and the James Webb Space Telescope is that we do better when we work together. Space is a difficult, dangerous, and above all else, expensive environment to work in. And when agencies don't communicate, there's always the danger that we will be reinventing the wheel and learning stuff, going out on missions and expending resources to discover stuff that somebody else already knows. And that's just wasteful when resources are so limited. Anyway, 
Time to move on. So, on to the general geeky news roundup. And caught my eye this week that Ridley Scott is back in the news. Obviously, Ridley Scott, every geek's favourite director, apart from the people who prefer David Cameron and George Lucas and others. Scott's been doing some interviews to publicise his new film, The Last Duel, uh, which is not showing in Harrogate at the moment, I note. In the course of that conversation, he mentioned that he didn't like the Marvel movies. Indeed, he did not mince his words. Uh, he called them no effing good and uh, boring as another word I can't say on the show. He doesn't like him, is what I'm saying. Um, now, he's entitled to his opinion, actually. I've seen a lot of stuff on the internet, because it's the internet, with geeks getting all bent out of shape and defensive about this. Well, why? He is allowed to not like them. It's cool. I happen to disagree with him. That's cool, too. We really do have to get out of this mindset where geeks always think we're victims. We used to be. I remember being a geek in the 80s. It was uncomfortable. Often, literally so. But right now, come on, we're getting what we want. We're getting the Star Wars movies. We're getting the Marvel movies. They're not all brilliant. We have to be honest about that too. Now, if somebody hates the whole genre, hates the whole way they're made, even if they are a great filmmaker like Ridley Scott, who cares? We've got to learn to relax about criticism, especially when it comes from somebody who actually might know what they're talking about. So let's actually have a look at what he had to say. Um, he says that almost always the best films are driven by the characters. That is a direct quote. Um, he says that, in his opinion, the superhero movies, uh, the scripts are not any effing good. Again, direct quote. He goes on to question why the superhero movies don't have better stories. Now, that's an interesting question, because I like the superhero movies. I love the MCU. I like the DC stuff less, I think it's fair to say. Um, but he has a point. Some, some of the Marvel movies have got great stories. I, I will stand and die on the hill defending how good a story Winter Soldier is, for example. It's not the only one. But there are some where the stories are a bit weak. Thor The Dark World, looking at you. And he says that those movies are mostly saved by special effects and that that's becoming boring for everyone who works with special effects. And yeah, yeah, I can see that. It's also actually becoming boring for the audiences. I mean, don't get me wrong. I really enjoyed Endgame. And there are bits of Endgame that I could watch over and over and over again. The portals bit at the end when uh, Cap will just readies himself with the hammer to make his last stand. And then suddenly you get the on your left and the portals open and literally every character you've ever seen in a Marvel movie comes through it. That still makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up on end, and I don't care what anybody says, that's not boring. But 
quite a lot of Endgame is. Story of Endgame isn't all that great. It's mostly a vehicle building up to that climax, which is fine. But do I want another 20 movies like that? No, no, I don't. Endgame needs to be a pinnacle, a stopping point, a time to reset. Now, I haven't seen Black Widow or The Eternals yet, so I don't know whether they're starting to go in a different direction. And the reviews I've read of both movies are mixed. So I don't know whether Marvel is resetting itself or not. And therefore, I'm not sure how valid Scott's criticism is in the long term. But I do think it would be a pretty poor do if the only movies that we were getting in theatres were that kind of Marvel blockbuster fare. Again, I think that would get boring quickly, and I don't want that to happen. Fortunately, as far as I can see, it's not happening. So there is no panic. And remember, however much you disagree with Ridley Scott on this, he doesn't have the power to stop Disney making Marvel movies. We're still going to get them. He's probably not going to watch them. His loss, his gain, that's up to him to decide. So what else is happening in the wacky world of geek? Well, the new Spider-Man trailer has dropped. Uh, I'm guessing if you're listening to this, you've seen it already. If you haven't, it's in the show notes. Go and have another look. Um, uh, I'm nervous. Genuinely nervous. I mean, I love Tom Holland as Spider-Man. I think he's great. I don't think he's been well served by the movies he's been in. They're all right. I don't know. I don't hate them. But they're now into the Spider-Verse. And I worry that someone at Marvel has clocked that they're now into the Spider-Verse and is now trying to do that in live action. That would be a mistake on several levels. First of all, every single live action superhero movie I have ever seen that has more than a couple of villains in it is awful. Batman and Robin, I am looking firmly at you, although Batman Forever started it. I think also about Spider-Man 3. Not the best of the Tobey Maguire movies, because there's too much going on. There are too many villains. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it now. They are doing a very good job of not showing us Tobey Maguire or Andrew Garfield in the suit in the trailer. I don't think that means they're not in it. I do think it means that they're trying to keep it as a surprise. If they're doing that, it's the worst kept secret in history. And if they're not, if Maguire and Garfield are actually genuinely not in this film, that's going to be a disappointment on several levels. I mean, first of all, it would just be fun, wouldn't it? And good Lord, everybody else from the other franchises is in it. So why wouldn't Garfield and Maguire be involved, at least as cameos? But actually, none of these villains that we're seeing, Electro and Sandman and the Green Goblin and Doctor Octopus, none of these villains are villains that have been in the MCU so far. So Tom Holland's Peter Parker, our Peter Parker, the MCU Peter Parker, if you will, he's got no connection with them. At all. He doesn't know who J. Jonah Jameson is. So what are we doing exactly? What's going on? In a way, we're going back to Ridley Scott's point about stories. I'm not sure that they can do a coherent story that can carry everything we've seen already, let alone whatever it is they're keeping for the future. I mean, all that said, with the possible exception of Thor The Dark World, Marvel hasn't made a movie I haven't liked yet. So... Don't bet against them, I guess. Uh, but uh, at some point, I said this when I talked about the Eternals, at some point, Marvel is going to drop the ball. 
I hope it's not with Spidey. Of all the characters, they can't drop the ball on. They can't drop the ball with Spidey. Spidey is too iconic and too important for them to drop the ball with this one. So, fingers crossed, the movie already has to contend with Benedict Cumberbatch's god-awful American accent. If, oh, could they not just have made him a British immigrant to America? The Americans would have bought the arrogance even more then, and Cumberbatch wouldn't have to do that awful, awful, awful accent. He's terrible at it. Sorry. Sorry. It was the only thing I didn't like about Doctor Strange. That accent is practically a villain in its own right. Okay, now moving on to some other movie news that is, frankly, a little bit more serious and a little bit more important. Uh, I didn't talk about the death of uh, the uh, assistant director of Rust. Uh, When that happened, I didn't regard Rust as a particularly geeky thing. But safety in Hollywood movies is a big deal. And as geeks, we like to watch the kinds of movies that are dangerous to make. Geeky films tend to have fights and guns and explosions and all of that good stuff. Now, I love all that. Okay, I've been known to blow a few things up myself, but it's got to be done by people who know what they're doing. Now, it's becoming increasingly clear that the procedures on the set of Rust were woefully inadequate. In this country, they would be unlawful. I'm not quite sure what the law is in the US. But the weapon that Alec Baldwin fired, which killed a person, he'd been handed that by somebody who was not a qualified armourer, who simply told him it was a cold weapon. Now, that's the jargon for this is a weapon that does not carry a bullet. Now, in my life, I have received exactly zero hours of gun training. I live in Britain. Nobody has a gun. Even I know, as somebody who does not own or handle firearms, even I know that you never take somebody's word for the fact that a gun isn't loaded. Certainly. If you're going to be pointing that at anything, what you should always do is check yourself and have somebody else check to make sure that they agree with you. He didn't do that. He took the word of an unqualified person that the gun wasn't loaded. The gun was loaded. Just that moment of slackness got a person killed. We can't take that lightly. Now. I'm bringing this up because they're making The Expendables 4, which is not my kind of geek movie, but it does have a big following amongst geeks, that franchise. Uh, So there have been two crew members injured on the set of this film, um, which is a concern. Fortunately, these were not massively serious injuries. And they didn't involve weapons or anything like that. The first injury was a painter who was working on the set who fell from a height. Uh, The second injury is a stuntman backing a vehicle over somebody's foot. Now, that is silly, stupid little accidents that could happen to anyone but shouldn't. And the problem here is if they're not paying attention to the basic, simple, silly little bits of safety, can we be sure that they're paying attention to the really dangerous stuff? 
are the stunt people really as safe as they could possibly be in a world where one of them can reverse over somebody's foot because they're paying so little attention to what they're doing? It's a problem. And I'm not dinging it on The Expendables 4. It's a problem in all movies. Why am I bringing this up? Simple. I'm bringing this up because ultimately these films are being made for us. We are the audience. We are the market. It is important that as punters, we are clear. We do not want to see films that have been made in an unsafe way. I don't want to watch the credits and see the words dedicated to the memory of and then the name of somebody who died on set. I don't want to see that. So, Hollywood, if you're listening, for goodness sake, look where you're going, get someone to foot your ladders, and stop being lazy and careless just to cut costs. It's not good enough. It won't do. I'm not doing too boring preachy parts in this thing. I think it's time we moved on. And that is the sound that tells us we have got some comics recommendations coming up. Now, in the wake of Thought Bubble, I have got a huge number of comics that I want to talk to you about. Stuff I picked up at Thought Bubble that I really, really enjoy. There's not as much of it as I'd like because I didn't get out from behind my table nearly enough. But there are some. And the first thing I want to recommend to you is Rocco Comics. Now, these guys were impossible for me to miss because they were on the table next to me. So we had a good long chat in the very few quiet moments that we had over the weekend. Now, what is special to me about Rocco Comics is that they're not for me, which is great. Too many comics are aimed at people like me. I've got enough. There are many, many areas of the market that are not being well served. And one of them, ironically, given the reputation that comics have amongst non-comics readers, is younger kids. If you've got a kid at primary school age, you are going to struggle to find a comic that they'll enjoy, that is suitable for them, uh, but which doesn't come in a plastic bag from Sainsbury's. Oh, I hate those toy comics. I really, really hate them. The big publishers do produce stuff like that, but not enough. And they don't keep it in print. It's so endlessly frustrating. So I was really intrigued to talk to the guys at Rocco Comics. Uh, it's a very small company. They're doing their own thing. They're based in Scotland, like so many other great British comics creators. Now, what they've done is twofold. I don't think there's been a comic quite like this before. First of all, they're comics that are aimed at the primary school age group, sort of six to ten. Now, that's rare. There's not that much of that about. So pleased on that level already. I've had a look through them. I think they're enjoyable. I mean, I'm 50. What do I know about what six-year-olds want? But I think six-year-olds would find them entertaining. But they're more than that. Without being dry or worthy or preachy, Rocco comics are also educational. Because they've taken great care to fit the Rocco comics into the Key Stage 2 curriculum. I don't think that's ever been done before. And I really like it. I really do. Uh, so I will put links in the show notes to uh, Rocco Comics themselves. I also have a full set of Rocco Comics. Um, 
and also some comics they've done uh, for people who are neurodivergent uh, on the subject of neurodiversity, uh, which also, I think, is an area that's not well served by comics. Uh, so do come in and just have a look. Uh, I won't try. I mean, I will try and sell you them. But if you just want to come and have a look, there'll be no sales pressure uh, because I really would like people to see these. I am thrilled that Rocco Comics exists. Absolutely thrilled. And speaking of comics I'm thrilled to see exist, I want to talk to you about the 77 and Blazer. Now, again, these guys were either side of me. Um, I had uh, Rocco on one side and then the 77 and Blazer were on the other side. So this is why they came immediately to my attention. I'd heard of the 77 uh, and if they had, in fact, been in touch with me about stocking it in the shop, which I'd never got around to doing. I do now. Uh, now, the 77 is a love letter to early 2000 AD. It's a retro anthology comic filled with all manner of good stuff. Uh, it launched in May 2020, which might be the worst time ever to launch a comic or possibly the best, because obviously we were in lockdown and people needed something to do. It's attracted a real cult following. There were six issues so far. Uh, there's an annual coming up. Uh, and it it really does. If you are an old person like what I am, and you remember 2000 AD from the 80s, you will love the 77. Obviously named for the year that 2000 AD launched. It's made by people who love that stuff. And... It's really, really well done. It's professional level production values, as most independent comics are these days, even if they're being made on a shoestring in somebody's kitchen. Stuff is professionally presented in comics these days because the technology has advanced to a point where that's affordable. Uh, now, the 77 team are also responsible for Blazer, which I adored when I first saw it. This is another retro deal uh, from the mind of comics superstar Steve McManus. It looks and feels like the kind of comic you would have picked up in the late 70s and early 80s. It's not on newsprint exactly, but it's newsprint adjacent. It's not that horrible glossy paper that they insist on using for comics these days. It looks the part. It's got hard-boiled stories in it. It's glorious to look at. And every single issue of Blazer, there's only one issue available, comes with a free sticker. Come on. Do you remember when comics used to come with free stickers? Because I do. And I still get excited about it. None of this plastic tat that you get these days as a free gift from a comic. Just a sticker. That's all you want. So both of these are in store now. And as you can probably tell, I'm a bit enthusiastic about them. But let's move away from Thought Bubble. Now, I will have some more Thought Bubble recommendations for you a little later in the show because they're online. Uh, but uh, and actually, there's more comics that I want to recommend, too. But 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 uh, let's go a bit more mainstream. Let's go to the comics that actually came from America this week and recommend a couple of those, too. The first I want to recommend is called Getting Dizzy, and I love it utterly. It's out this week from Boombox, and it tells the story of a young girl. She's 15. She just wants to be good at something. She wants to be recognised for being the best at something. And so far, she's not found that something. She's tried dance. She's tried skating. She's tried music. And she's just not 
good enough at any of it, in her view. The kind of kid who so badly wants to succeed at something, she never allows herself to enjoy what she's doing because she's always worrying about whether she's good enough at it or not. And the truth is, sorry, Dizzy, you're not. But then something happens. She witnesses some kind of strange demonic creatures coming through a portal and discovers that she may in fact be the one human alive chosen to fight them. Suddenly Dizzy has a destiny. Unfortunately, she doesn't have the instructions. Somebody else has those. And given Dizzy's history, how well is this going to go? Huge fun. Uh, slightly cartoony art, uh, but a really, really engaging set of characters. A really, really engaging storyline. Uh, it's it's all ages in the best possible way. There's nothing here that could upset a child. There's nothing here that a child would struggle to understand. But I'm 50 and I enjoyed it. So, you know, literally for kids from five to 500. Uh, can't recommend it highly enough. Absolutely adored it. And speaking of things I absolutely adored, I've got a Thought Bubble regret comic here. Uh, I wish this had been out in time for Thought Bubble because it's by Ram V who was at Thought Bubble, although given that I didn't get out from behind my table and I didn't get to meet Ramvi anyway, wouldn't have mattered. Wouldn't have got it signed. So I'm learning to live with my disappointment. What I'm talking about is Radio Apocalypse. I've not enjoyed a dystopian future this much for some considerable time. And I do love me a dystopian future. Basically, we're at the end of the world. We don't really know why it's not explained. It might be later. I don't actually care. And here there is a little community. There's little scattered communities all over the place. Um, Travelling between them at night is dangerous for reasons that aren't fully explained. There's some kind of creatures in the darkness. And one of these settlements, there is literally the last radio station on Earth. Broadcasting into the wilderness for the benefit of anyone who can hear it. It's such a simple concept and it's so beautifully delivered. The amount of world building and characterization that they do in the 21 pages of issue one is astonishing. It's so concisely done. You come to care for the woman who I presume is going to be the central character, although I'm not sure. It's maybe more of an ensemble cast, Uh, but she has to make a choice early on. Uh, that she's going to have to live with and she's going to find it difficult. Her girlfriend also makes a choice that will also have long term consequences for them both. That's not a spoiler, I don't think. Um, we, it ends on a kind of downbeat cliffhanger. And it's just such a beautiful story. Now, this shouldn't surprise anybody who's been paying attention. Ram V is one of the best writers in comics today. Uh, his work on Swamp Thing, his work on The Many Deaths of Layla Starr, uh, all of this stuff makes him stand out. He's written some of the best comics I've read in the last 10 years. And gutted I didn't get to meet him at Thought Bubble. I hope he comes back. Uh, I'll get more staff and spend more time pounding the floors next time. Uh, again, out this week from Vault Comics, who are rapidly becoming my joint favourite publisher alongside uh, Boom and Aftershock. I can't praise it highly enough. 
Uh, it's quite a, 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 a rustic kind of art style might be the way to talk about it. It's got a remarkable colour palette, not, not realistic, uh, quite vibrant. Uh, the art is stunning to look at. Um, that's by uh, Anand RK. I don't know how to pronounce that, whether I'm supposed to pronounce the letters or or just pronounce it Urk. Um, I don't know. Uh, coloured by uh, somebody called Anisha, whose work I'm not uh, familiar with at all, but they have done a stunning job on this book. Uh, again, links hopefully in the show notes. It's just sublime. But that's four comics of the week this week, and I did initially set the limit at three, so I guess we'd better leave that segment there. But I am immediately coming back to comics that I found at Thought Bubble. Except, not really, these are more comics that sort of found me. Little anecdote, you know how much I love them. Wednesday before Thought Bubble, I got to the shop a little bit later than I should have. Parking in Harrogate is a nightmare, people. It was just past one o'clock. I was a couple of minutes late and there was somebody in the shop already. Now, I hate when that happens because I hate keeping people waiting. But turns out wasn't actually a customer as such. Turns out she was an American, a cartoonist called Kristen Schull, who was in town for Thought Bubble, fairly obviously. Come a few days early. It's a long way from America. You're going to want to make the trip worthwhile and long enough to be have a point. Anyway. We got chatting and she told me that she was a cartoonist, that she made autobiographical comics, which is a genre that I really, really enjoy. Uh, My love for the work of Rachel Smith is well documented here. And, you know, I said as she was leaving, I'll I'll look forward to seeing you at Thought Bubble. I'll come and find your table and have a look at your work, which I didn't do because I didn't get chance. So I was disappointed in that, but I'd already started following her on Instagram and read some of her work on there. Um, Now, I was really touched when I went back into the shop on Tuesday afternoon to discover that she just left two of her books for me. Big, thick compilations uh, with a little note saying, sorry, she hadn't seen me. Here's some of her work. Uh, She hopes I like it. Well, I do like it very much indeed. Fantastic, uh, generally four panel, little autobiographical snippets of story Black and white, pen drawing, really nicely rendered. Uh, love it to bits. And you can read it too. For free, people. For free. Which is the best price of comics ever. Uh, just follow her on Instagram. She's ego underscore gala on Instagram. And if you like autobiographical comics, hers are great. Really, really enjoyed them. So uh, that's a recommendation for free stuff, ladies and gentlemen, on the internet. Read it for free. All you need is access to Instagram, and I bet you're all on there anyway. So ego underscore gala, give her a a follow. She's well worth reading. Okay, we are running out of time, but we really should just have a very quick look at... Oh, how much do I love that jingle? I really love that jingle. It's probably my favourite jingle of all the ones we do. Okay, so... Interesting science and engineering stories are sort of converging at the moment, uh, and they seem to be closing in on everybody's favourite billionaire, tax-refusing Bond villain, Elon Musk. Now, you're used to Elon Musk cropping up in the space segment because his company SpaceX is doing some astonishingly cool and important work 
in the realm of low Earth orbit and beyond. But of course, Elon Musk isn't just about space. The project that really first brought him to widespread public notice was his car company, Tesla. And they've been building high-end electric cars now for some time. And to be fair to Tesla, they are quite good at it. And thus far, Elon Musk's old Tesla Roadster is the only car in orbit around the sun. But the trouble with being the leader in the field is that people will try and catch you up. And that seems to be what is happening. Other, less sexy car brands, such as Ford and Mercedes, are starting to do the whole electric vehicle thing a little bit better than Tesla. Uh, now, the big problem with electric vehicles is that they take a while to charge. That's a problem because I have two cars because I'm living in Harrogate. Uh, my big car has a very large fuel tank. I can fill it from being on fumes to the tank is full in three, four minutes. If I wanted to charge an electric vehicle to full capacity of a similar size, it's going to take hours at best. Now, they're working on that. Of course, they're working on that. Uh, Tesla have come up with a supercharger device which can fully charge a Tesla vehicle in 20 minutes, which is better than hours. But 20 minutes is still a long time for your car to be parked at the charging station. And if we're going to make electric vehicles the thing that everybody uses, that's got to be addressed. Well, hello, Ford. The Ford Motor Company, of all people, seem to have hit a solution. Um, they have produced a charging system that can charge a car to full capacity. 4.6 times faster than Tesla, which means we're talking about four and a half, maybe five minutes to fully charge a vehicle. That's comparable with taking a, a, a petrol or diesel tank from empty to full. That is game changing. Now, it's not easy. The faster you push electric current through wires, the hotter it gets. That's a problem. But working with Purdue University, Ford seems to have found a way around this. It's only a prototype, but it's a proof of concept. If they can actually pull this off and roll this out into the real world, it's going to make a huge amount of difference. And it makes electric vehicles suddenly more practical. The other problem, of course, that electric vehicles have is range. And range is the reason I don't own an electric car at the moment. There are times when I drive extremely long distances and there isn't an electric car currently that can do the distances I want to do in any kind of reasonable way. Uh, I frequently drive up to, well, I don't do it now because lockdown, but when it's allowed, I often drive up to Scotland uh, to the very far north. I'm driving in stints of over 500 miles ago. Now, there's no way of doing that in an electric car that doesn't involve sitting around for ages charging it up. Well, they have come up with a way at Ford and at Purdue University of at least making the charging relatively rapid, but the range still isn't there. I still need to be able to get 
reliably from home to halfway, say, without needing to charge the thing up. You can't. It's just not practical to expect people to be stopping every five seconds to, to charge their vehicle. But Mercedes are getting there. Um, they reckon that their EQS vehicle, which isn't available for sale at the moment, it's a concept, proof of concept car, um, they reckon it will have a range of over 440 miles on a single charge. Now that, again, comparable to my diesel car. And it beats the Tesla Model S. So Tesla are no longer the, the, the big leaders in this field. Now, obviously, that's a test circumstance. Um, would it do that in the real world on the road? I don't know. I mean, the Tesla, uh, the Tesla Model S um, gets about 405 miles. Um, that is on the road. So it doesn't seem totally unlikely. Battery technology is improving. And we we may just be getting to a tipping point where there's enough interest and investment in the technology that things will start to improve rapidly. What also, of course, has to happen rapidly is costs have got to come down. I mean, we are talking with uh, both Tesla and Mercedes about really, really expensive vehicles. Um, just, they're, you know, terribly, terribly expensive vehicles. They're out on the range of your average person. So something's got to happen to make this technology cheaper too, or it's never going to take off. It is quite nice to see Elon Musk get taken down a peg or two, though. Sorry, can't help it. And finally, in science, there's a very interesting piece that I don't think I really got enough time to go into here, but links in the show notes, um, to a article on science news about a new particle accelerator that's aiming to unlock the secrets of the atomic nuclei. Now, focusing particularly on uh, lithium which is a fascinating material. Uh, I need to read the article a couple more times to fully understand what I'm talking about. So I have a feeling that this will actually be a new story next week. But I just wanted to mention it. Um, the article on Science News is uh, from the 15th of November. So it's been up there a couple of days now. Uh, and I love particle accelerators. So... There's a lot to have a look at. There are links again to that article in the uh, in the show notes. Uh, but I think, yeah, it's too it's too big a story. I'm I'm going to have to do that next week. I think. Uh, so that's it for science. Ah, oh, and that's pretty much it. Completely. Uh, just a few things to go over. First of all, uh, I want to say a very very heartfelt thanks to Steve Dempster, King of Geeks, Geek Pub Quizmaster himself, for coming and helping me at Thought Bubble on Saturday. If he hadn't been there, I would not have got from behind the table at all. Uh, I also want to say a very heartfelt thanks to the very, very brilliant Alice Murphy 
the only official member of staff at Destination Venus, uh, who kept the shop open on Friday and Saturday while I was at Thought Bubble uh, again. If she hadn't been able to do that, I wouldn't have been able to be at the show at all. So thank you, Alice. It is appreciated. Uh, also, just again, a very heartfelt thanks to everyone at Thought Bubble. You did a stunning job in difficult circumstances, and I cannot tell you how much I appreciate the effort you put in to bring this world-class event to this little town every year. And if anybody's listening who came to Thought Bubble, thank you for coming. I hope you enjoyed your time in Harrogate, and I hope you come back again. Special thanks to everyone who came to our stand at the convention centre or who came to the shop. It's lovely when people make the effort to come and check out the local comic book store. We really, really appreciate you. We really do. Hopefully, next week, we will actually have some chat with people who aren't me about Thought Bubble, the experience of Thought Bubble, how it went, um, and other stuff too. I've got some interviews scheduled with various comics creators who I've been trying to talk to for ages, and basically everything that happened to me in October got in the way, and then it was Thought Bubble. But now, hopefully, there will be time and there will be space in order to get these things recorded. I really hope so. Listeners, you deserve to listen to somebody who isn't me. You really do. So I will do my best to make that happen. Hopefully this whole thing, this whole show, will get a little bit slicker and a little bit more organised. Now I have a little bit more time. Again, I thank you for your continued patience and support. And I guess that's it. Really, um, all that remains for me is to tell you that Geeking with Destination Venus is a copyright production of Venus Rising Media, proudly engineered in Yorkshire by me. We will be back next week with a whole bunch of stuff, I hope. I know I keep saying that. I do keep saying that. But we will be back next week with more geeky news, more geeky views, more, hopefully, geeky fun, recommendations, reflections and all of that stuff. Until then, please, please, please remember what I said at the beginning of the show. Back up your files. It really, really is important. Honestly, you'll thank me. You will. So, yeah, do that. The other thing you should do is contact info at destinationvenus.co.uk if you have any comments on the show, anything you'd like the show to cover, or if you have any events for the Geek Community Corkboard, which you will notice is absent this week because nobody's told me about anything. So any geeky event you want to promote, please, please just let me know. I will plug it as hard as I possibly can. And of course, as ever, there is more information about everything that we've talked about in the show today over in the show notes. Just go to www.destinationvenus.co.uk Click on the blog button at the top of the homepage and scroll down until you see the title for this edition of Geeking with Destination Venus. As I record this, I don't think I've decided on a title for this week's show, uh, but it's episode 27. So just look for Geeking with Destination Venus episode 27 and uh, you'll be in the right place. OK, that really is it. We will see you next week. Same time, same device. Unless you choose a different device, that's up to you. Uh, until then. Be kind to yourself. Be kind to absolutely everybody else. Stay safe. Stay geeky. Until the next time we meet here to go geeking.